Tschüss. Can I see myself? Can I see me? Hello, everyone. How are you? How are you? Guys, I'm going to have the chat box here on the side. I want to help moderate today's conversation with Mark. Mark is going to take over in just one second because he has so much good content, and we do want to leave a small portion at the end for Q&A. So is everyone okay with hearing and seeing me? And if so, I'm going to switch it over to Mark. Just go ahead and type yes in the chat box. If you are okay, you can see me, you can hear me. Thank you, Salise, Jamia, Jennifer, Stephanie, Taylin. Thank you. Alexis, Liz, Ms. Johnson. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to mute all. All right, much better. Sorry. Okay. All right. Okay, guys, I'm back. We're solid. Okay, guys, for those of you who have bought the um, replay and the VIP with the discounted consultation, you will receive that information. Um, if not by tonight, if it uploads, what you gonna mute me? If not by tonight, then definitely by tomorrow you'll get that information. But we're looking forward to meeting and connecting with you. Um, all right, guys. So I want to introduce my good friend, Mark Brown. He's my real friend in real life. And so we were having, uh, I think it was like nachos. That's my key to my heart, nachos. And so I'm like, Mark, we got to do some business together. You're like this awesome source of information. So Mark is really, really dope, but he's super humble. So it's his fault. I didn't know what he did for a while. <laughs> I just want to say that. I'm like, Mark, what do you do? He was like, oh, I get people funded for houses. I'm like, well, everybody I know wants to buy a home um, in relation to student loans. So today, Mark is going to break down the basics. There's about you know three fundamental ways um, that we'll be considering and going through tonight as it relates to home buying. Um, if it sounds like you or you sound like you're a good fit, you sound like um, someone he should know or work with, to help you get approved. You'll definitely get his contact information. Uh, for those of you that said yes to receiving some information from a home buying specialist, he'll have yours. Um, so the FAQ I'll moderate and I'll save some questions as they come through, but definitely moderate at the end. We just ask that your questions for today be general um, and applicable to everyone to learn from. If it's specific, like they told me that I had, you know, that type of question, 
then we want to make sure that you connect with Mark 101 offline. So those are the house rules for tonight. Um, but I wanted to leave it very informal. Um, and I'm super excited about tonight's conversation. So Mark, I'm going to switch over to you. I'll mute, you unmute, and then we'll go from there. You're good. All right, we're back. All right, hey everyone, good to be here and be a good. Okay, good to be here and be a resource for everyone. Um, Sonia and I did have lunch. There were nachos involved, and uh, she she said some things that made a lot of sense. Um, obviously, a lot of the people that are fans of the student loan doctor are following her. You guys are trying to get your student loans either figured out. Um, for you know, getting your credit score up so that you can qualify for a mortgage or getting your payments um, down so that you could qualify for a mortgage. So it kind of makes sense that you know how that process works. So what I'm gonna run over really quickly is what lenders are typically looking for when you're qualifying for a loan because that's obviously super important that you know how that works and then how student loans figure into that. And if it is, um, an obstacle that we just can't get past because for whatever reason your student loan debt is too high for you to qualify for a conventional loan there are some options where you can go around that so um, we're gonna go through all that in quick succession and hopefully you guys will get a lot of value and then I'll leave some time so that we can ask some questions that'll be helpful to everyone at the end uh, so first things first when you're applying for a mortgage um, or as for, for purposes of this conversation, the conventional loan, there's four things that lenders are looking for. The reason why they have to look for these things is because there are rules that exist when you're getting a mortgage. Those are called uh, lending guidelines, right? So you have Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and then FHA. Those are gonna be the three sets of criteria that you're generally looking at when you apply for a mortgage. And these rules apply to all of them. So the first rule is your capacity to pay back the loan. So when you're getting a mortgage, lenders wanna make sure that you actually have enough income coming in so that you can pay that mortgage back. Um, especially if you're getting a 30 year loan, obviously it's important that they can show by taking a snapshot of your current situation to justify, hey, it makes sense to give this person this loan because they're gonna be able to make these payments over the next 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, however long you have that mortgage for. So they're gonna look at your income, your employment history, specifically over the last two years, the savings that you had built up, and any monthly debt payments that you're making um, currently, and the way that they get that information is by pulling your credit. Um, debt payments would be credit card payments, installment loans like student loans, um, auto payments, perhaps another mortgage, or um, even if you were to take out a personal loan and that's reporting monthly on your credit report. Um, monthly debt payments are not car insurance. Um, they're not even rent. Um, I very rarely see property management companies reporting rent payments, but that's not something that's calculated into your debt to income ratio because obviously the goal is once you buy the house, that goes away anyway. So we have to add up all of your monthly expenses, your monthly debt payments, and we really look at your minimum monthly payments to figure out how much debt you're liable for on a monthly basis. We add that to the new debt that you're gonna be taking on for your mortgage payment, and we literally take the number as a ratio of your gross monthly income 
which the rules on that can be different depending on whether or not you're self-employed or you're a W-2 employee. And we figure out, hey, is um, too much of your income or um, going towards these debt payments or are you good to go? And generally those ratios are somewhere around like 31% on the front end, which is just the mortgage payment, uh, just the, the new housing payment that you're taking on, and then 43% on the back end, and that's if we add up all of your debts together. Now, there are some exceptions to that. I actually just did a pre-approval for a client, and their back end ratio was 49%. So it's possible to go outside of those ranges, but generally you wanna stay in there. And honestly, from a affordability standpoint, you kinda of wanna stay in, in that range as well. You don't want to have too much of your monthly income going towards debt payments because what money are you living off of? What money are you saving? You know, that's going to create some issues. So that's number one, your capacity to pay back the loan. The second thing they're looking at um, is the capital that you have available. And so um, if you look at someone's uh, net worth on paper, right? Do I have other assets? They could be liquidated and they could bring me cash, do I have cash money sitting in the bank? Um, do I have investment accounts that I could liquidate? Properties that I could sell? Assets that um, if need be, I could get rid of and those assets could be used to pay off this debt that I'm taking on for this mortgage. Obviously part of that is because you have to put money up for your down payment and part of that is if for some reason you don't qualify for a conventional loan, there are special programs where we can literally get you qualified based on the total assets that you have. So I have some clients that, you know, they don't show a lot of income on paper because they're self-employed, but they do have a lot of assets that can be liquidated. They would actually more than cover whatever the new mortgage payment is that they're getting and whatever the new debt that they're taking out is. So that's one of the criteria that lenders are looking at. Um, the other is obviously the collateral that you're taking the loan out against. So if you're buying a property, for $200,000, for example, no one wants to loan you money for a $200,000 house and then they get a valuation done for the property and come to find out it's only worth $150,000. Reason being, if the roles were reversed and someone said, hey, I need $200,000 to buy a $150,000 asset, if they decide not to pay you your money back, you can't even recoup the investment that you put out because it's not worth what you lend on it. So that's why when you're going through the mortgage process, um, lenders are gonna get an appraisal done to determine what the property's worth. And then of course, as we all know, your credit. You know, So your credit um, serves two functions. One, you have a minimum credit score that you have to meet to qualify for different lending programs. Two, your credit score, that snapshot in time of your payment history, your balances in relation to your available credit, um, the types of credit that you have, the length of time that you've had that credit, and the number of inquiries that you have on your credit report, those five factors, if you add those up, those provide a score. That score is literally just that. It's a, it's a snapshot in time of what your credit history is, and essentially your track record on using other people's money and paying it back in a timely fashion. If you can show that you've been responsible with that, then obviously lenders are going to be excited about lending you more money because they're pretty confident that they're going to get their money back. So if I have a 650 credit score and Sonia has an 800 credit score, that just means that she has a better record of paying money back on time and using credit responsibly. 
So when it comes time for me to be qualified for a loan or Sonia to be qualified for a loan, if all things are even, we have similar income, similar assets, she's going to get a better interest rate because she's less of a risk. And that's all it is. The interest rate is just um, a determination of how much risk is associated with giving you that loan. So we know the four major elements that are going into you qualifying for a loan. Now we look at how student loans fall into that. Now, obviously, when you're looking at someone's capacity to pay back a loan and you're adding up their debts, if they have student loans uh, that they're paying on a monthly basis, or even maybe that they're not paying on a monthly basis because they're on some sort of income-based repayment schedule, the loans have been deferred, things like that, lenders still have to take that into account. And I'm going to start with the most popular um, loan program for first-time home buyers, which is what a lot of people you know associated with, which is the FHA loan program. Now, the way the FHA loan program works is very, very, very straightforward. Uh, you have a minimum borrower contribution of three and a half percent. That means those funds either have to come from you or from your side of the transaction. So it could even be a gift from close friends or family, and those funds go towards your down payment. The lender will actually lend you. 96.5% of the property that you're purchasing. And then you have to get, you know, mortgage insurance that's included in your payment. They escrow your property insurance and your property taxes. And each month you're making a payment for one twelfth of the insurance, one twelfth of the taxes, and you're making a regular monthly payment. Well, when they're calculating what your debt to income ratio is to qualify you, whether or not you can afford a loan for this amount, um, if you have a payment that's reporting on your credit report, then the lender for FHA purposes, for their guidelines, they have to look at either 1% of the outstanding balance of the loan or the actual payment that's reporting on your credit report as long as it's fully amortized. And in case people don't know what fully amortized means, it means that if I have a loan for 20 years, the payments that I'm making are actually going to pay that loan off in 20 years. If I have an income-based repayment schedule, sometimes you may have a payment for, I don't know, $56 <clears throat> on a loan, and the loan may have a balance of several tens of thousands of dollars. Well, if you were making a payment for $56 on a monthly basis, chances are, over a 20-year period, that $56 payment is not going to pay off that loan. So the lender cannot use that payment to qualify you for purposes of a mortgage loan. They have to look at, okay, you have a balance of $46,000, great, we have to take 1% of that, and that's the number that we use to calculate what your monthly debts are to qualify you for this loan. Now, that's the rule if you have a payment that's already been established. There is some carryover um, for that rule for different scenarios. So for example, if your payments haven't started yet because maybe you just finished school and you wanna hurry up and qualify for a mortgage, well, because those balances for the student loans are showing up on your credit report, the lender still has to take that number into account. So they're still looking at 1% um, if the payments are going to be starting within 12 months or the actual payment um, that's projected for your student loans. And the way that you can do that is very simple. You call up a student loan company. You say, hey, I need documentation that shows where my payment's going to be so that I can show that to the lender because I'm trying to get a mortgage. And again, if that payment um, comes out to be a fully amortized payment, then we're good to go. But if it doesn't, then they have to use the 1% calculation. There's not a lot of flexibility in there. 
Same thing if it's deferred, same thing if your payment's been reduced. We have to show the um, ability that your payments that you're making are going to pay off that loan completely. If they're not, then we have to use 1% of the balance. So that's a way before you even sit down with a mortgage professional like myself, that you could kind of get an idea of what your debts are because it's very easy. There's consumer credit reporting services, even though they may not be as accurate as possible as it relates to your credit score and what is going to be your representative score when you apply for a mortgage with a lender, they can and still show you what debts are showing up on your monthly uh, or showing up on a monthly basis on your credit report. Those numbers are going to be accurate. So if I was to go to an annual and pull my credit report from all three credit bureaus, then I can find out exactly what my minimum monthly payments are that are reporting to the credit bureau. I can add all those numbers up. I can add in my uh, student loan payments if they're fully amortized, or I can use 1% of the balance if they're not fully amortized. And I can get an, an idea of what percentage of my um, monthly income, my gross monthly income, is going towards debt payments. You want to keep that number, again, below 43% once you add in the mortgage payment. And you can go to you know bankrate.com and get a mortgage calculator to kind of get an idea of what your payment would be um, if you have plans on getting a house. Now, obviously the next level in the conversation is talking to someone like me, we plug all of your information into our loan origination software, we're able to pull down an accurate tri-merge credit report and we can run those numbers, but that's the first step. Now, the beauty of FHA loans, um, is that they do have more flexible debt to income guidelines than you would see on a typical Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, which means that even if you're above that 43%, as long as you have solid credit, um, ample assets, we can usually get a what's known as an automated underwriting approval. And that just means we plug all your information into the computer, it spits out a report literally, and it says this person's uh, approved and they're eligible to get a mortgage, or it says they're not, and this is why they're not. And then those are the conversations that we had with you. Um, the other types of mortgages that are very popular for people that are buying houses to live in are conventional loans. And those are either underwritten to Freddie Mac guidelines or Fannie Mae guidelines. Both of those organizations are government-sponsored entities, and their only job is to buy loans from mortgage companies or from banks that are making mortgage loans so that those companies can then turn around and make more mortgage loans. So they have a whole set of rules that the lender or the bank has to underwrite to, and as long as your mortgage meets those rules, they can sell those, those uh, loans to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac in big chunks so that they can replenish their funds to go out and make more loans to new people that are trying to buy houses. Their rules are going to be slightly different. So for Freddie Mac, um, the rule is this. If you have a payment that is currently being paid, uh, they look at either your <coughs> monthly payment that's reported on your credit report or 0.5% of the original loan balance that's currently outstanding. So they're able to be a little bit more aggressive with the income calculation um, for, your, for your monthly debts from that student loan because instead of using 1%, they're using 0.5%. <laughs> so this could be a situation where if someone has a really high student loan balance, when you're starting the mortgage process, when you sit down with your mortgage professional, whether that's somebody that you know personally, maybe you met them through your friend Sonia, or... Um, you got a referral from a friend or a family member, you're able to say, hey, you know what? I already know 
my student loan balances are kind of high and I have a payment program set up right now, it would be really great if you know I could potentially qualify for a Freddie Mac um, mortgage. I've kind of already crunched the numbers and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it if I have to use 1% of the balances on my loan. That same rule applies for Freddie Mac loans if your payments are gonna be starting within the next 12 months. That same rule applies if you're on an income-based repayment schedule where your payment amount has been reduced. However, if your student loans are currently in deferment, they also use 1% um, or the monthly payment is reported on your credit report. So obviously, if your payments are deferred, you don't have any payment being reported, so you're gonna be looking at 1% of the balance. So when you are going through the qualification process for getting a mortgage, Freddie is student loan friendly. Just remember that, Freddie is student loan friendly. And the third option is our Fannie Mae. Now, I love Fannie Mae conventional loan programs because they have really aggressive programs for first-time home buyers. Um, there's actually a program that I work with a lot of my clients here locally in my market um, here in Philadelphia because there's lots of areas that are changing drastically. <laughs> the, the demographics are changing. And so there's a first-time home buyer program called Home Ready, which a lot of you may want to write this down. But the Home Ready Loan Program allows you to do a bunch of different things. Um, a couple of highlights. You can use the income potentially of someone who's living in the house, but they're not going to be on the mortgage for whatever reason. Maybe they don't qualify income or qualify credit-wise. Um, so it's going to maybe affect their ability to be on the mortgage, but you can still count other household income to qualify for the loan. That's key. Um, you can actually do a very low down payment for this program. If you're a first time home buyer, especially, it's 3% down, which is even lower than an FHA down payment, which is 3.5%. And with this program as well, for maybe some people who have um, higher incomes, they still allow you access to this program, which is really designed for low to moderate income households. Um, if you're in certain census tracts, so if it's a census tract where, um, you know, based on the, the last census that was done, that area has a, a history of uh, low to moderate income people, that's where they want to drive, you know, more home buyers in. And so they'll be a little bit more flexible with the income limitations and you could actually potentially make six figures and still get a really low down payment. And you know, you may be making six figures, but then you may also have some strong debt. So that'll allow you to maybe be um, less cash out of pocket so that you can go after those properties in those areas. Um, and again, if you talk to a mortgage professional, they're gonna be able to look these up. There's actually a whole lookup tool online uh, on Fannie Mae's website where you can punch in an address and see if it qualifies for this program. So that's just something that you guys definitely wanna keep track of. But again, if you're looking at a Fannie Mae program, you're gonna to have to use 1% of the outstanding balance. The actual payment that will fully amortize um, or whichever you know is, is showing up on the actual credit report. So if I have a payment that's showing up on my credit report, the easiest way to do this, um, on most credit reports, even if it's a consumer report, it will show you the length of the term of the loan or at least how many months are left. You take the amount of months that are left, multiply it times the minimum payment that's showing up on your report. And if that comes out to more than the balance, then you're probably good to go. If that number is a big difference, then 
you're looking at the 1% of the outstanding balance as the number that's used to calculate for your monthly payment, even if that's not what you're actually paying monthly, because the way that the lender has located is, at some point, you're gonna to have to increase your payment amount to get this loan paid off, and when that happens, that means that in essence, your monthly debts have increased, even if you don't open up any new credit <coughs> accounts. So they wanna plan for worst case scenario, for one of two reasons. One, they wanna protect their own butts, and two, they obviously wanna make sure you're not in a situation where you have a mortgage and you're making payments and all of a sudden your debts increase and now you can't afford to make the payments and it's, it's an unaffordable situation for you and you lose your house. Um, that's how a lot of people got in trouble back in 07, 08, is they, they had more debts than they had income. Um, so those are the basic rules, 1%, 0.5% for Freddie, 1% for Fannie. Now, if you start crunching numbers, you sit down and talk to your mortgage person, and you say, hey, you know what? Um, for whatever reason, I don't qualify, you know, whether it's because I have too much debt or not enough income. Um, this is another thing that a lot of my self-employed borrowers run into um, in efforts to reduce their tax liability as much as possible. Uh, when they're sitting down with their tax preparer or their CPA, they say, hey, write everything off. You know, I don't want to show I made any money last year. Well, the problem with that is when you go to look at a mortgage um, application, the way that we're calculating your income as mortgage professionals is we have to look at your employment history for the last two years, whether you work for somebody else or you work for yourself. So if you work for yourself, especially if your business hasn't been established for very long, we have to look at a two-year window. If over that two-year window you don't show enough income to support a mortgage payment, then you can't get a mortgage. It's that simple as a self-employed person per conventional financing, conventional rules. But if, for example, I wanted to buy a property and it was in an area where properties are renting for, I don't know, uh, $2,000 a month, and my new mortgage payment is going to be about $1,500 a month, let's even say $1,600 a month. In essence, if I was to rent that property out, my rental um, income could support the property's mortgage payment, right? So that's what we call a self-serving, servicing property. The, the income from the property services the potential debt that you would be getting from a new mortgage. And you can actually buy a house without showing any income documentation if you can prove that the property itself would support the mortgage. Now, you can't necessarily do that for an owner-occupied property, but if it's a property that's in an area where rents are strong, you could absolutely get an investment loan. Uh, we call them rental loans, landlord loans, and you could qualify for one of those mortgages. Now, the rub with those is you are going to be looking at a higher down payment. Generally, most lenders that are doing those types of loans want to see you put anywhere from 20 to 25% down. It usually depends on where the property is located, the amount of money that you're borrowing, all those fun things. But let's say you have a business that's been doing quite well, um, but you're not showing how well you're doing, or maybe you're just not showing enough income, or you're writing off too many expenses, then what you can do is, sorry about that, what you can do is you can say, hey, you know what? I have some money set aside. I'd like to buy this property. Maybe at some point in the future I may live in it, but for right now, I'm happy running where I'm at or living with family or living with friends, whatever, but I wanna get this money to work for me. I can take some of the money that I've made for my business, 
I can put it into an investment property. And even if I don't qualify for bank financing because I can't go and qualify for a conventional loan, I could still buy the property and I can get qualified purely based on the income from the property. And when I talk to a lot of investors um, or, or would-be investors or just straight up business owners and let them know that, they're blown away. They're like, wait, I didn't even know that was the thing because they just assumed, hey, if the bank told me no, I can't get a mortgage, sorry. The reality is a lot of banks don't really go after that type of business or they don't even offer that type of loan program. Um, so if you bank with a credit union, typically they're gonna offer those types of loan programs. Um, obviously, if you went to someone who's a mortgage broker and they're working with multiple lenders, they're gonna have lenders that that's the type of financing they, they um, actually specialize in. And those are the only types of loans that they really like to do because they know that at the end of the day, um, it's actually less paperwork for them. They don't have to worry about collecting pay stubs, tax returns, any of those things. They just say, hey, what's the property worth per the appraisal? What are market rents per the appraisal? What are you renting the property out for? Does the property's rental income support whatever the new mortgage payment is that we're gonna give you? And if it does, A-okay, your, your credit checks out, it meets our minimum guidelines, you know, let's get you a mortgage. So these are some options that people have um, that, you know, as Sonia said, when we were talking, she was like, hey, I didn't even know this was a thing that people could do. Um, and I was helping a mutual friend of ours get exactly one of these types of loans. So I want you guys to know what your options are. And also, I want you to know what's happening on the other side of the table when you go to apply for a mortgage. So you have an idea of how to have that in conversation intelligently. Um, that way, you're not setting yourself up for failure, getting excited about being able to buy a house and then you go and have a conversation with a mortgage person. They say, hey, sorry, you don't qualify for the loan. You know, best of luck, because if it's a program that maybe they're not familiar with, they may not even tell you about this. Um, that's all I have. Um, I think that that's like a good base for people that have never gone through this process. And maybe even if you have, things in the mortgage space have changed drastically in even like the last three or four years. Um, if you guys have any specific questions about a scenario Again, we can have that conversation offline, but if you have any follow-up questions for me, I'd love to answer them right now. So, guys, I think Mark did an excellent job with breaking down the basics. I'm looking over the Q&A here. Uh, Mark, the question was like, what is that report called if it's above 43%? Are you referring to a report? Okay, so I'm sorry, I might have I might have not been as clear as possible. So it's not a report; it's just um, it's the rules. So again, when we're looking at qualifying somebody for a mortgage, if somebody's trying to qualify for a loan and their income and their debts, we add those up and you know subtract. Um, if their debts that they're bringing on plus the debts that they currently have add up to more than 43% of their gross monthly income. And for a W-2 employee, your gross monthly income is really simple. It's your hourly rate times however many hours a week that you work times 52 weeks in a year divided by 12. Or if you're a salary employee, it's literally your annual salary divided by 12, your base salary. Um, we don't really, uh, are, we, we aren't allowed to count bonuses unless we can show an established history of that. And that's a whole deeper conversation. But if we add all of those things up and your debts are more than 43% of your gross monthly income, then generally that's like when you're in like the, Ooh, I don't know. Not saying that you definitely can't get a conventional loan, but 
that's when we have to be a little bit more aggressive with the types of programs that we go after. Um, that's when maybe you're looking at an FHA loan, or if we are doing a conventional loan, we have to look at some of the programs that are designed for first-time buyers because there's an understanding that if you're a first-time buyer, you're probably also not at your highest point for your income potential. And so there's an expectation that as you, you know, hold on to the house, your income is going to increase. Hopefully your expenses don't increase commensurate with your income and you're going to be able to afford this payment later on. So maybe we can be a little bit more aggressive, but anything over that 43% is what we kind of call the, uh, the shaky area. Um, how do you actually calculate the debt to income ratio? That's a really easy one. Um, your debts, your monthly debts added up. So whatever your minimum monthly payments are for your accounts, whether they be credit cards, car payments, other installment loans, divided by your gross monthly income. And I just told you guys how to calculate your gross monthly income. All right, let me go through them for you. Can you explain the payment left X, the minimum payment again? Say that one more again? I'm not really sure that question is. Can you explain the payment left times the minimum payment again. Oh, okay. The, the payment, the payment left. So if you have a student loan and I'm just throwing numbers out of here, let's say it's got a balance of $20,000 on the, on your credit report. And you're making a payment right now because you're on an income based repayment schedule of $28 a month. And it's saying that your outstanding term for your student loans is 10 years. Well, you're either going to have to get, you know, something figured out or uh, as far as like restructuring the, the, the length of that loan, or when we're calculating what your minimum payment is to qualify you for the mortgage, we have to increase that number to 1% of the student loan balance. The reason being is if you were to take your 10 years that you have left making $28 a month payments, you're not going to pay off a $20,000 loan. And so that's, that just means the loan doesn't fully amortize. There's not going to be a zero balance if you paid that minimum payment for the next 10 years. Great. And guys, I just want you to know that um, Mark's information will be sent out. And for those that you have registered for this webinar, if you opted yes, he'll send you a follow-up email as well so you can have a conversation with him. I want to take a few more questions. Do you have any thoughts on NACA? So, Mark, my audience brings up the NACA program a mm -hmm. lot. I'm familiar with NACA. NACA takes a long time, honey. NACA is good, and it does have some program stipulations. I agree. Do you have an objective view on NACA? Um, my experience, <laughs> because I personally don't work for NACA, so I, I can't say, you know, hey, it's great, or hey, it's horrible. Um, I do have a lot of realtor friends who have clients that have worked with NACA, and you know, for some people, it makes a lot of sense. If you have the time and energy to go through the program, um, it could be a way for you to kind of get your financial house in order to qualify for a mortgage because that's essentially what they force you to do so that you can qualify for the program. But as Sonia said, it is very time consuming. Um, right now in our local market, I don't think NACA buyers are, are making a lot of headway just because of the fact that we're in a heavy seller's market. And what that means is if you're looking to buy a house, chances are when you put in an offer on a house that's been listed um, for sale, there's going to be multiple offers on that house. If you tell the uh, seller, hey, you know what, I need two months to go through the mortgage process, and somebody else says, hey, I need 30 days or less, 
the other person, assuming all things are even, is probably going to get the house over you. I'm not saying that, you know, it's like that everywhere, but I know in a lot of markets right now, you know, there's a shortage of inventory. So you have to be careful with that. Um, but again, you know, with the NACA program, it's much less cash out of pocket. So if you don't have a lot of savings built up right now, maybe this may be the only way that you can access home buying. And so for that reason, you know, you got to kind of weigh the pros and the cons of what makes the most sense for you. And obviously I would consult with, you know, whoever your uh, real estate professional is that you're going to be working with to let them know, Hey, based on what's going on in the market, the area that I'm looking in, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, what do I need to be armed with so that I can be competitive and be able to get the house if I find one? Great, great, great. So just want to go through a few more here. Uh, do, do, do. All right. Uh, jobs, crystal, job stability does matter in terms of getting home. You would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would Mark be able to suggest which loan to go for FHA, Freddie, Fannie, after looking at the tri-merge report? Yeah, um, that's part of what, you know, mortgage professionals do. So if you're sitting down talking to someone who does mortgages um, and they say, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. Eh, that's not really true. Um, as long as you have a 580 or higher, you can qualify for an FHA loan. As long as you have a 620 or higher, you can qualify for a Freddie Mac or a Fannie Mae loan. So that's like the basic, you know, cutoffs. But there are some other things that go into that. Again, like I was talking about before, depending on what your debt to income ratio is, depending on what your credit score is, depending on even the amount of house that you're trying to buy, because in different markets, the loan limits are different, meaning the amount of uh, money that you can borrow for each loan program. So all of those are factors when we're trying to figure out which is going to be the best loan program for you, as well as how long you plan on staying in the house. These are all things that we look at. Yep. And is there a big difference between Freddie and Fannie? Um, Outside of the student loan repayment rules um, and how they calculate the payments, not a huge difference in the way of like interest rates, things that are going to impact you. Um, it's more the idiosyncrasies of the actual loan guidelines. And for certain scenarios, Freddie programs make more sense. For other scenarios, you know, Fannie Mae programs make more sense. Generally, for self-employed people, um, Freddie programs are going to be a little bit more friendly. And then for W-2 employees, I feel like Fannie Mae's a little bit more aggressive with the ratios. To me, um, to answer your question, um, you should include all strands of income when buying a home buying process. Um, she says she has full-time and part-time, both salary, two streams. Um, it depends on how long she's been maintaining that part-time job. So okay. if you have an established history of at least two years where you're bringing in both incomes, then absolutely, we want to use as much income as we can get to qualify. But at the same time, if you're being, you know, as fiscally responsible as possible, maybe if you have plans of doing something in the future where maybe that part-time job's not going to be possible, you may want to just qualify personally based on your full-time job. So that way you know that if that part-time income goes away, you're still going to maintain your household expenses. That's just good, you know, practice in general. Um, but yeah, if you have an established history of both incomes, we can look at them both. If you just started working a part-time job six months ago, but you've had a full-time job for the last five years, then we're only going to be able to look at the full-time job as qualifying income for the mortgage, even if that's going to be income that's coming into your household that can help pay for your expenses. Um, and then let me ask you this question, Mark. I thought this was a good one. For someone to just start even to sit down with you, what's the minimum credit score they should have? 
I would say um, 580, I say that with a grain of salt because um, a lot of times people will be like, oh, hey, I'm looking at Credit Karma, I got a 580, I'm ready to go. Um, <laughs> be prepared that you may get a credit pull done by a lender like myself, and it may not match exactly what you see in your consumer credit report. And that's no fault of yours, it's just the fact that um, we use a different scoring model than consumer credit reporting services use. So 580 could definitely qualify you for an FHA loan, um, assuming everything else is copacetic. You know, it's like if you have a 580, you have some decent savings, you have solid income, um, good work history, we can make some things happen. Are you gonna get the best possible interest rate? Absolutely not, but you could still qualify for a mortgage. Now, if you have a 580 and you're like, hey Mark, I don't have much cash in the bank, you know, my income history is a little bit spotty. Um, we may have to do some things to get you mortgage ready, but it's at least a starting point having that conversation. So I always tell people, whether you think your credit's super jacked up or you know it's strong or it's, you know, somewhere in the middle, you still want to kind of have that conversation. I'd say um, if you think that you maybe have some credit challenges as soon as possible so you can figure out exactly what you need to do to get credit worthy. And if you plan on buying a house, you probably want to start that mortgage process at least three months out so that you can get a good feel for what your buying power is and make sure you have all your ducks in a row so you'll be ready to rock. Okay. And just to, we'll make it short. Uh, do, 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 what's going looking at on the rehabilitation? Ms. Johnson, are you talking about the student loan rehab loan process? Or which rehab loan process are you referring to? She may be talking about an actual rehab loan. Oh, a house rehab loan? Um, which those loans, I was actually literally just talking to someone before oh, I came over here. Oh, two or three. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. Those programs are great if you <clears throat> are in a situation where, you know, like the market here in Philadelphia, there's not a lot of inventory available. So um, that may allow you to go after a property that maybe not a lot of people are into because it needs some work. And obviously you can't get a conventional loan for a property that's not moving ready. Um, the one thing that I will say is, if you've never been through the home buying process, you definitely are going to have to put uh, a lot of energy into getting a 203K, um, and then the conventional equivalent is a home style renovation loan, because there's gonna be a lot more moving parts than just you filling out <laughs> a loan application and submitting your paperwork to um, the mortgage lender or to a bank you have to now essentially become a project manager for the rehab of the house. And if it's a house that you're gonna be living in, <laughs> that you know could be another level of stress that you may or may not be prepared for. So I generally tell first time home buyers to run away from two or three K loans, you know, like their hair's on fire. But depending on your background and your temperament, you may be set up for it. I'm not gonna say, hey, it's never been a good thing because it could be an opportunity for you to buy a property in an area where you want to live, where there's not a lot of inventory available and you, you know, you're kind of getting some built in equity. So um, it's definitely a great program if you're prepared for it. Mark, this is a good question. What if you just graduated college and started your career? Do you have to wait two years or income? That's a perfect question. Mm -hmm. I actually have a client who's right now uh, going through the mortgage process and that's his exact situation. Now he's, he had been in the workforce, but he was doing something that wasn't 100% related to what he's doing now. Um, he went to nursing school, got out, and now he's working full-time as an RN. And we're able to get him a mortgage because 
we can show um, a track record that he was going to school for nursing. He's now working in the field that he was going to school for. Now, if I was going to school for graphic design and now I'm working as a truck driver, that's going to be a little bit tougher to, to show to an underwriter and get them excited about giving me a loan. But if I can show a track record of, hey, and literally you show your, your school transcripts from college, hey, I just went to school for this. I'm now working in the field that I went to school for. Then that's not unreasonable. Um, generally, though, lenders do want to see that you have at least six months um, of work in that field. Um, I have seen exceptions for certain fields of study. You know, if somebody's working in the medical field, they're a little bit more lenient. If you're working as, you know, a professional and you, you uh, just finished like a, um, a law degree or something like that, that's not unreasonable. You don't necessarily have to have two years of established history, but um, generally salary employees are gonna have a much easier go of it uh, than hourly employees. Um, unless again, you were just going to school for what you're doing. Like my RN client, he gets paid on an hourly basis, but he just finished nursing school. He's been working as an RN for the last six and a half months. Great question. And the last one is if you're a business owner and an hourly employee, writing expenses off on your business, does it hurt, harm, hurt or harm you? <laughs> It definitely hurts you for purposes of qualifying for a mortgage. This is why when we're doing your income calculation, if you are writing off expenses, we have to go based off of not your AGI, your adjusted gross income, which is what you're taxed based on, but there are certain expenses that if you write them off, we actually have to deduct them when we're doing your income calculation. So what I would recommend is you make sure that your mortgage professional that you're going to be working with and your tax professional are on the same page as early as possible. Like don't have somebody prepare your taxes and they wrote off everything under the sun using, you know, QuickBooks or, or what is it? What is it called? Yeah. And then they come and, and you know, you, you give your tax returns over to your uh, mortgage dollar. person. And, and what's that? One dollar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't make it I didn't make any money. It's like, oh okay, great. Uh, congratulations. You don't qualify for any loan. Because again, if we're looking at debt to income ratio and your ability to repay, would you want to give somebody a loan if they said that they only made ten thousand dollars last year and they want to buy a two hundred thousand dollar house? Probably not. So that's how you have to think about it. If you're a business owner, there's a way that you can do it and protect yourself and still be able to protect your ability to buy and your, your uh, what we call your bankability, your buying power, but you wanna coordinate those things up front. And we're, we're looking at a two year window, so it may not be a you know, wham, bam, thank you, man process. I've even had clients that had to go back and refile their taxes for past years and pay the tax liability just so that they could show more income to qualify for a mortgage. So, um, guys, if you found this today to be super helpful, I mean, if, and if you purchase the replay, because there's option, somebody might want to rewind you, Mark, and go slow. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a I, lot. We just threw a lot at you. I think that would be um, the smart thing. I know that some of this is on IG Live for 24 hours, so I'm super excited for those people that got to tune in there. If you guys thought this was helpful, uh, please type yes. So um, Crystal said it was awesome or thank you, whatever you want to share with Mark. Um, he's really awesome in real life, so he will definitely um, be available to speak with you guys. Um, if you're at that point where you're thinking about home buying, 
The reason we partner is because I always tell uh, Mark that our company with student loans, we address the elephant in the room, which is a student loan before purchasing a home. So you don't want to sit down with Mark if you're in default, if you're behind, if you haven't started repaying it, because he'll direct you back over. And Mark is really right when he says it's a seller's market. So you might see your dream home and get all, you know, Terry, like, I love this home. Mm -hmm. And then it's going because you weren't ready in a place to make a good offer. So please don't be that person. Um, I do this for every webinar. If you feel like you need us in terms of how we can help with your student loans, we do offer a discounted consultation for attendees only. Um, if you want to take advantage of that, you can register yourself tonight. The goal really is with us, from a student loan perspective, are you in repayment? Are you in the best payment plan to get you qualified for the home? And then back over to Mark, as pre-packaged and bundled as you can be. So if there's anything outside of that, he'll inform you. Again, when he does the tri-merge report, he's taking a look to see how do you look across all of the, well, not all, the major three credit bureaus. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, in terms of getting you approved for the home. Um, so, I, you know, our slogan this year is this is your year. So, you know, you don't want all these great resources to pass you uh, by for sure. They said, Marco, you only available Philly or what's your, your scope? Right now, I'm, I'm licensed uh, for residential loans in the states of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So I help out clients all over those states. Mm -hmm. um, Tanika, you had mentioned George. I actually have. Um, Didn't I tell you? This yeah. is confirmation. <laughs> you know what? Hold on, Tanika. Yeah. <laughs> Tanika, darling. I know where I serve. I, I'm like, I, Mark, Georgia. <laughs> so I should get that done. I'm like, Mark, tomorrow. <laughs> I actually have some, some friends down there in real estate as well. So I've been thinking about getting licensed down there. It's a matter of me just filling out an application. So mm -hmm. um, if there's a demand for it and there's people down there that need assistance, I have no problem getting licensed there. And even if it was a situation where you had to move super fast, I can, you know, get some things set up. Um, in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, I actually do. I, I do have some buddies that, that do mortgages up in Chicago, Illinois. Yep. So this is like non-related. Someone says I look like Russell Simmons' daughter. So one of the goals I would say, like a Camorley Simmons, if that's where you're going, sir. Thank you. Okay. I received that. Okay, no makeup on today, too. That's great. All right, so um, he, someone said, fill out the app, sir. <laughs> and someone said, barely. So let's do this really, really quick. Just type, if you could. Yeah, I, I have more just friends in all 50 states, legitimately. I have friends in all 50 states. <laughs> so type what state you're from. So this would be helpful. Can you see the chat, Mark? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and I can see where we play this, too. Oh, nice. Um, but Maryland, New York. Uh, North Carolina, PA, Georgia, California on live, Philly, um, Virginia, DC. Yep, Georgia, North Carolina. A lot of Georgia, North Carolina. Hey, you, got a lot of, you got a lot of squad here. So we do. Okay. We're, we're national, you know what I'm saying? You know, shout out to Shea Room. So here's what I tell people student loans don't live in one cluster. I think we were really successful starting off here in Philadelphia because there's a lot here in Philly. Right. But places like Atlanta, North Carolina, D.C., Virginia, uh, Boston, uh, Maryland, those are also states just on a nationwide level that blink red when it comes mm. to student loan debt. Okay. Could be because young professionals are moving there. Right. <clears throat> professionals are returning back to school there. Upper middle class going back for their higher ed degrees. It's a lot of reasons. 
Um, but these are, I would say this is really congruent with the information that we have about where we serve our clients. And interestingly, that's the also the largest demographic of new home buyers. Oh, in those so, areas. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, like I said, with the right tools and the right information, um, this is your year as it relates to home buying. You do have to do some things different. You might need to figure out how to pay down your debt. Nobody likes that conversation. You get your credit score to go up. Most times when you're paying down, especially that revolving credit, like that credit mm -hmm. card, um, that might be something that people need to look into. Sometimes people are like, I just need a credit repair person. That's a quick fix. Right. That's not going to take spending habits. And what we don't want people to do is to get in the home and have to eat beans and rice. Thanks. Because you'll get in a home and house you'll poor. find yeah, we that talk you'll about be house time. poor. And you'll find that, oh, the water heater, oh, the windows. Uh, a year later, they still don't have furniture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they said the phone, do you see these folding chairs? We showed the folding chairs. <laughs> they would be folding chairs right here. I've seen it. In the living room. I'm not coming over with that. I had one friend who used to call this place the beach. <laughs> so it was the say, but that's what we eat. No, no, that's what you eat when you want to eat, not when you got to eat. I had a friend from college who didn't choose the right milk plan. And he was on the ramen noodle diet. Oh, wow. Okay. He had shrimp, chicken, and beef. Just depending on what he felt like that night. <laughs> I mix it up. <laughs> so we don't want you on that plan. That's not the plan we want you to enroll into. And if this is someone's current plan, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive. But that's just not what I want for my life. Okay? So I don't want that for yours. So, all right. So in any case, um, if you purchase the replay, you'll get that definitely by tomorrow. Everyone will get, smart. Everyone will get Mark's contact information. If you do not follow us on the Student Loan Doctor Instagram page and you want to watch it again, then purchase the purchase replace, okay? It will be there uh, for another 24 hours for sure. Um, and then, I, like I said, I really am looking forward to Mark serving you guys. He has a great spirit. And I only connect and put people in front of you guys that I know are serious to get some stuff done. Um, and Mark is on IG. It's Mark.Brown. Mark.Loans. Mark.Loans, thank mm -hmm. you. Mark loans. Mark with a C. On IG. Ooh, that's officially rappers. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me just put you on here. Mark loans. All righty, guys. So we appreciate you so much for joining us um, tonight. And hope you find this information to be uh, plausible, something you can use. Don't forget, we do have another webinar coming up. The link is in the bio. Uh, I believe it's on the 31st, Carlin. Um, everyone say hi to Coach Carlin. She's all in here working all extra. Carl, you might get paid for this. You're just learning, right? Okay, cool. She, I'm off, like, she's taking notes. Hey, Carlin. Yeah. So, in any case, um, Coach Carlin is here. She's one of the awesome coaches that I work with um, in terms of helping you guys out. Um, oh, that's what I'm saying. The webinar is going to be on parent plus loan repayment. This is a big one. Mm. So we're seeing people come around to us, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, having to repay their loans. Interestingly enough, some of these people also want to buy a home. They didn't, they didn't have to um, encounter any of those home buying challenges before mm. when they bought a home. But now it's a new world. Now you got parent plus loans. What does that look like? Right. Um, so in any case, if you know someone that needs um, help in regards to their parent plus loan, please tell them to register for that webinar. I'll be doing information on what that repayment should look like. That's not a cute thing if no. you get it wrong. A lot of times people consolidate and combine them with their other loans. 
and their payment goes from like one something to like 700 and that's locked in. Ain't no changing it. So you don't want to make that type of mistake if that could be um, possibly your situation. Um, but all right, not trying to scare people, but it is real and we are not genies to reverse it. You locked in. Yeah, once, so. you, once you sign on the dotted line, you, you, you have that, those long terms. You can't go back and say, oh, I changed my mind. Yeah, super fast. <laughs> um, all right, guys. And Malaysia, I'm looking at your name. Your book was dug off today, darling. So thanks again. All right. Bye, guys. I will talk with you all soon and see you soon. See you on the gram. And Mark, thank you again. Thank you. And